And our Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity today to come together as your people. Father, because we believe that what we've just sung is true, that your name is above every name that's been named on this earth. Father, your power is real. And this morning, as uh, we come together by faith, believing that you want to meet with us, we thank you that uh, your, your presence is, is our privilege today. And so we want to give you our attention. Speak to our hearts out of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, church family. It has been a while since I've been with some of you. It's really good to see new faces uh, here. I'm John and my wife now, Jordan, wherever Jordan's at, right there. Jordan, not everybody knows her name. It's Priscilla, okay? Peace happens the way we go by. <laughs> it is a gift to be back with you all. I was here for about eight months. Now, you don't know, but I'm still holding a bit of a grudge, okay? Just thought I'd, let's get the cards on the table, because the last time I was here with you, some of the church leaders that are out here did a dirty thing. We were here for the Valentine banquet. Now, you all don't remember, but I do, because you got Priscilla and I up here on this stage, and we had to do a, one of those hula hoop things. <laughs> And I want you to know my back was out for days. <laughs> so I haven't forgotten. And so uh, it's just a gift to come and be back with you today. Garen's doing a bit of a vacation and a study break in Colorado. And so these days that he's there, just trusting that God speaks to his heart and continues to give him a sense of, you know, what God has for you as a church family with he is your pastor. The other thing that was kind of a gift, I got to speak with Al this week. I don't talk to Al Earhart. There was Al, and then I covered for a while, and now you have Garen. But Al called me and said, hey, John, I hear you're going to be at 12th on Sunday. And we just kind of caught up with what's going on in Al's life. And he, he asked me, he said, what are you going to speak on? And I said, well, I'm going to speak out of John 13. In fact, John 13, 31 through 35. And he said, my goodness. You know, that was the very first sermon that I shared when I came to 12 years ago. The search team wanted me to do a devotional, and he's very current on that. So I want you to know I'm already started totally intimidated. Those of you that have been around here for years know Al when he came. Uh, I'm going to kind of be an Al shadow, but uh, this morning we're going to be looking at ch the chapter 13 of the book of John. I'm also going to go back to how I started with you now almost uh, a year ago, where I said that one of the key issues of working in church or in life is understanding leadership. And Jesus is, is the model of a good leader. And a guy named Max Dupree has a definition for leadership that I think is so good, I want to share it again today. Max Debris says this is what the task of leadership is all about. First of all, leaders define reality. A leader first defines reality. The last thing a leader does is to say thank you. And everything in between, a leader is a debtor and a servant. So this morning as we look at John chapter 13, I believe we're going to have an an excellent example of Jesus defining the reality 
that we need to understand of what God is up to. We don't get to see where he says thank you, but I'll guarantee you just chapter 13 starts his farewell message. He's telling the disciples goodbye, and it starts in John chapter 13, 31, and it goes all the way to the end of John 17, and if we looked at the chapter 17 in John, you hear him say over and over and over again to the Father. He says, Father, thank you. Thank you that you gave me these men. Thank you that you've been with us. Thank you that you've revealed yourself. Just over and over and over. So, in the life of Jesus, we see him defining reality, and we see him ending by saying thank you. And then everything in between, he was a debtor. In other words, he wanted to give us something that he believed we, we needed, and he was a servant. And so with that, I want to ask you to stand, and it's kind of my tradition, or probably your tradition still, if you'll stand, I want to read chapter John, chapter 13 of John, 31 through 33, and then I'm going to ask God to bless his word. So here's what the writer John wants us to hear about this night. And when he'd gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. So little children, yet a little while I'm with you. You'll seek me. And just as I've said to the Jews, so I, I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this night. We thank you that you inspired, you spoke to John to record it for us, to hear what your son had to say on such an important evening. And Father, I pray today that your spirit would have unusual freedom to speak to our hearts about what you have to say to us about our relationship with you. And so, Father, come. You promised to be here. We're assembled, and we ask you to speak, for it's in your son's name. Amen. You all may be seated. You know, the book of John is the last of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, written early, and I'm excited to share this with you because it's since I've seen you, I've discovered a guy in Kansas City, his name is Dr. Kostenberger, is kind of the, the global, maybe we could say, expert on the book of John. I didn't realize, but way back at the turn of the 18, at the beginning of the 1800s, well, that's a long, long time ago, people began to say, this isn't a real, this isn't a real story. Now, you got to look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those were written right after Jesus was dead. And for John to wait so long to write a book, they begin to say, nah, we don't want to listen to it. It's probably not chronological. It's not worth giving your attention to. Now, folks, I've never believed that, but I didn't have the foundation that this guy over in Kansas City at Midwestern Seminary, Kostenberger, I mean, he's leading today's writers about the foundation of the book of John, how it really is. It, the destruction of the temple's already happened. 
The, the Christians are scattered. He's getting ready. He's going to write the book of Revelation. He's going to write those three letters that he writes, but he wants to capture what he sees has not been told about the life of Jesus. And so we get the disciple that was loved. He calls himself that. And now remember, he's called a son of thunder. You kind of put in perspective who this dude is. He and his brother James, they were fishermen. And if Peter's doing stuff, if he's spontaneous and doing things quickly, you got the two other brothers who are called the, the sons of thunder. And I believe that they, they were like that. If you, you have a fisherman that's going to be called a son of thunder, whenever the dude shows up, things get kind of radical. That's who he was. But we get to see he's the only disciple that was not martyred. Uh, they tried to kill him, but he, he dies a natural death, we think. Tradition says that. And I believe we get the gift of an eyewitness for all those years who had all the years to think about it to say, here's what you got to have. This is the one piece missing. Let me tell you what you need to know about who Jesus is was who he is and who he's going to be. And so we get the book of John. Now, I don't know about you, but I like, I like to pay attention to when things change. You get to a point in time, and at that point in time, it's kind of like a hinge in time. And, I mean, I'm looking at my wife. Y'all, we've been married 44 years. I still remember the day that we got married. I mean, before we were married, we weren't married. On, watch this, I'm going to say it. May 31st, 1975. At about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, you guys were ahead of us. It's on that day. You still remember that day, don't you? It's a hinge in history in your own experience. And so, John chapter 13 is a hinge. So, I'm going to just lay a little context. If you've got your Bibles, it's not on the screen. But I want you to open your Bible. Look at the verse before 31. I started in 31. I didn't want to go back to 30. Because then to explain all that, I mean, it take screens to get us there. But the context is, it's getting ready for the Passover. And all of those disciples are assembled together. And remember what Jesus does? Somebody forgets to wash feet. And so Jesus serves the disciples. He, he puts on a towel, takes, he takes the role of a servant, and he washes the feet of the disciples. And then after that, they're sitting down, just sharing the meal, getting ready for the evening. And he says, my heart's really broken tonight because one of you is going, one of you is going to turn against me. One of you is going to reveal me to the Jewish leadership. And Peter says to John, who is it? Because they don't know who he's, they don't know who it's going to be. And Jesus says, it's going to be the one, he tells John, he says, it's going to be the one that I give the piece of bread to. And it's Judas. And now look what it says, not in verse 30, but verse 28. It says, now no one at the table knew why he said this to Judas when he said, what you're going to do, go do quickly. They don't know why he said it. Some thought that because Jesus had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out 
And get this. And it was night. Now, church family today, my guess is that in this room, there's some people that are in the middle of the night. You showed up today. I, I had coffee with a guy that I, I meet with regularly in Topeka. And just this week, he said, you know, last Sunday, I went to church. Not because I wanted to. I didn't feel like it at all. But because I knew I needed to be there. He's going through a season of night right now in his life. And where I want to start with what John has got to say to us, telling us what happened that night, is that in the middle of the night, we can have a word of hope. And that's exactly what's, what I believe the first thing that Jesus is doing for us, that John remembers, is, yes, it was... In reality, it was night. The sun had gone down. It's dark. And Judas leaves. And the cogs are now beginning to turn to get us to the crucifixion. It's not far away. It's the middle of the night. And let's see what Jesus does with that. Because as John remembers, Judas quickly leaves. And it was night. And when he had gone out, Jesus says, now. Now is the Son of Man glorified. First thing that I believe that John wants us to capture is that as Jesus is at this point, I mean, we're talking, we're talking seconds from the creation of the world to when it's going to all come together and we meet him in heaven. Right now, at this point in time, right now, Jesus is now, the Son of Man is glorified. He couldn't say that five minutes ago. He couldn't say that earlier in the day. He couldn't say that when he raised Lazarus from the dead about a month ago, maybe six weeks ago. He says it right now, in this point in time, because here's what's going on. When Judas leaves... Jesus has ended what started at the fall of man. And that is God wanted to get a message to every man, woman, and child that sin does not defeat him. That our, our separation from him is not the end of the story. And he started with Adam and he began to say, I'm going to send a Savior. I'm going to do something with your problem. And so he's... God identified the Jewish people with Abraham. Everything that happened after Abraham got us to David. You had the kingdom. You had an unbelievable era in the life of that people, the Jewish people. They continue to turn away. You get the prophets. You get everything that goes on. And then we get the birth of Jesus. And from that day when Jesus was born until this moment in time, Jesus has done everything he could do, everything he needed to do, everything that was prophesied in the Old Testament to let the Jewish people know he is here. The Messiah has come. And when Judas says, not for me, and he walks out of the room, all of a sudden time hinged. Because at that point, right there at that point in time, 
God says, I have communicated everything I need to do to the Jewish people. Now I'm turning to the nations. Every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation on earth is going to see the glory of God, of what's going to happen. I'm, I've completed. He's going to pray that in John 17. He says, I've done all the work you called me to do. And he hasn't died on the cross yet. He had completed everything with the Jewish people, investing truth, life, time, love into those disciples. One of them says, I don't want it. And he says, okay, now. Now. Now in time. Now is, is where the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. Jesus now turns and he looks to the cross and he's going to say goodbye to these 11 disciples and it's going to take him, well, just look, if you got the red letter, right there's where I start. It's all that page, all that page, all that page, all that page, and all that half of that page. That's how he says goodbye to them. It's very, very detailed and very clear. But the very first thing he says is that God is going to be glorified. Now remember the term glory. Glorified means that the curtain's going to be drawn back. We're going to know more and more of God's heart. Up to this point, they have a little bit about a suffering servant. They know that in the Old Testament that was talked about, but not a one of those disciples are thinking about the crucifixion the way it's going to be. In fact, you know, Peter's already done his thing. He says, look, I'm not going to deny you. And Jesus says, dear friend, you are before the rooster. It's already night. Before tomorrow morning when the rooster crows, you're going to have done it three times. And he's now on, he's on the path to get him to the cross. And after the cross, we get the resurrection that we've sung about today. But the now is right there where God is glorified. First of all, this glorification is a significant point in history. Now, all of us need to know, I, I believe that's what's so important about what churches do. Churches proclaim what I'm trying to talk about today, and that's the good news. In the middle of the night, we have good news that God is for us, and that God sent His Son that whoever would believe in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. And that message, we just keep seeing that curtain drawn back more and more and more and more about the heart of God that's behind that message. And he does it in time, significant points in time. I've tried in the last few minutes to help you see that that point in world history was right now at that second when J Judas walks out and Jesus says, now... Is the Father going to be glorified? I'm going to be glorified in the Father. But I want to propose to you that just because it was that way in the Bible, I believe it's that way in every one of our lives. We live in time. We live in relationships. We live in the middle of interaction of people, and that becomes events. And some of those events are very, very significant in your life. And so I believe the first thing that John is wanting to remind us as we look at the life of Jesus 
is that God wants to deal with every one of us where we live and in time. Significant points of time. Secondly, as we look at this bridge that goes into the future, where it's not just the Jewish people, but now Jesus is focused on every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation, the whole world. As he wants to do that, he's reversing the condition of mankind. He's reversing what happened with Adam when it was just Adam and Eve in the garden with him and Adam chooses to sin. You know, Garen's in Colorado, but uh, some of you, and I've been, thank you for those of you that have talked to me and asked me about our daughter. Uh, our kids, my, our daughter, son-in-law, and four grandkids live in Central Asia, and they're home. They've been home a little over a month, and guess what? We took a family vacation in Colorado. We were out at uh, Estes Park and saw Long's Peak, and you know what? This old man isn't what he used to be. We, we did some hiking, and uh, I can't go as high as those young kids. In fact, it was Priscilla and Ethan, my oldest grandson, and then Nate's oldest girl. They were leading the way. And where am I? I'm the back. I'm, here's what I tell everybody. Grandpa wants to make sure everybody's ahead of us. <laughs> it's a nice way to say Grandpa is struggling coming up the mountain. But one of the ideas that goes on or can take place in mountain climbing is if you've got a man who's the leader, the first one on the rope, and he's going up that mountain, and the rest of people are tied to him, and he falls, guess what begins to happen? As he goes down, the next one on the rope goes with him, and the next one goes with him, the next one goes with him. That's a picture of the fall of mankind. Every one of us are tethered to the very first one. It's Adam, and he fell. And as he fell, every one of us since then have, we're not connected. We're falling with him until Jesus. Jesus came as a man. And as a man, he was not, he was tempted, but he never succumbed. He was, he was right in God's sight. And so on this night where God's going to be glorified, we have the first man who instead of being pulled down with Adam and everything that's gone ahead of him, stays on the mountain. He's the one that's connected. He becomes our salvation. And the salvation of everyone else who'd gone off, he is the one. Jesus changes the course of history. Jesus changes. He reverses the conduct of Adam that every one of us are connected to. Now, it started back at the Garden of Eden. It goes through all that history that I went through, but on this night when Jesus is now, we're hearing the very first time he's grabbed on and all the weight of mankind has stopped. It's a significant point in history. He's reversing the condition of man. Second, thirdly, he's overcoming the power of the evil one. Now from the Garden of Eden, when the evil one tempted Eve and Adam and deceived them into believing the lie, the disobedience gets you something that you can't get any other place that's now getting ready to be broken. And as Jesus 
not only gives himself on the cross for each one of us, and then is risen from the dead, as we sang it today, and it was, uh, Ashley quoted it, as the promise of the resurrection gives us hope for what it is. It's pulled together right here in these verses where God's glory is going to be made known. The bridge to the future that started that night where he says, now is the time where God is going to be glorified. We're going to see his heart as he really is a loving heavenly father that will take your sin upon himself in, the, in his son. That message is the bridge to our future. And so seeing all of that in verse 31 and 32 gives me hope in the middle of night. And so as I said, some of you may have come in here today. Life's not good. You've got things that could be pressing down upon you. And I just want to share with you that we have a loving Heavenly Father who is putting into place your salvation. It's a bridge to our future. Secondly, not only a bridge to our future, it's a bridge to God's grace. Understanding what His grace is because Jesus goes on to say in verse 34 something that has caught my attention, but we really need to take apart today. In 1334, here's what Jesus says. A new commandment. Now, folks, you got some, I mean, these fishermen guys, no, they didn't go to seminary, but they're all good Jewish boys. They know what the Ten Commandments are. They've listened to Jesus talk about the commandments to all kinds of people. Remember the rich young ruler that came up and said, well, what about me? I mean, I've done everything, and Jesus talked to him about his heart. He said, well, go sell everything you got and give it to the poor, and he found out what was going on. He helped the rich young ruler realize what was in his heart. And so until this night, God had given us the law, the Ten Commandments, as something to help us discover that we are not living up to the Ten Commandments. But on this night, we get a bridge to the future. We get a bridge to understand more of God's grace because he says a new, a new commandment. Now that ought to catch our ears. Huh. Moses was a long time ago when you gave the first ten. And here we are tonight, 11 of us sitting around this room. And you're saying there's a new commandment? And look what he says. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Well, duh. These guys know that loving your neighbor as yourself, that goes clear back to the Old Testament. God's command for every one of us here to love those around us, that's, is that new? Well, I want you to know that part of it is because he doesn't just, let me fight this, me and my glasses and this earpiece. He says, a new commandment I give to you, new, that you love one another just as I have. Here's the new part. He looks at the disciples and he says, you've never had a model I want you now, after tonight, I'm calling you 
to love those around your life the same way that I have loved you. I've modeled it. Now, what did he just do? What he just did was he served them. You know, he took the robe and he put the towel on himself and he became, he became a servant, washing feet, doing practical, helpful things. And I believe that one of the things that Jesus wants us to, to discover and to do is to live out his love through your life. One of the parts, I've said it before, that I like about life is how creative God is. God loves diversity. And in this room this morning, every one of your lives is a unique story of relationship with people, family, where you work, all that's going on, and you are painting a picture that nobody else can paint. It's your it's unique story that God wants us to live in a way that shows him where you live. He wants to live through you his love for other people. And he says, and by the way, I've given you a great, I've given you examples. Disciples, you are not going to forget what we did together. We've lived together for the last three years, and I want you to love other people the way that I've loved you. Now let's not forget, one of those days, Jesus said, hey guys, let's get in the boat and go on the other side. And not only did he say, let's get in the boat, he said, by the way, I'm going to take a nap. And that's how much he loves them. He loves them to get them in the midst of a storm that they were scared to death they were going to drown. And then he says, and oh, by the way, I'm here with you. you. Why are you so afraid? Let me love you to help you discover who I am with you. I mean, what a friend. And so he wants us to live that Christ life out. And he's going to do that through us in your world. And so that's why the gospel message, the good news, touches every, I keep saying every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation, it touches every part of Emporia, every little corner where his people go, God's love can is to come through us and touch that. He wants to live out his love. And not only live out, some of you remember, I've said a few of the things that are really special to me. One of those things is Snickers candy bars. You know, the story we had in Africa, that we'd get a few Snickers candy bars and Priscilla would slice those puppies into 16 little slices and we enjoyed those. Another thing I really enjoy is cheesecake and people know that and I've had more than once and the other day somebody wrote, hey, Sal, we're going to have some cheesecake down here at 12th Avenue, you want to show, show up? And living on something... You know, I can't live on Snickers candy bars. I've tried. Let me just tell you, it doesn't work. You can't live on cheesecake. But the story of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, when Charlie got in there and he began to discover, hey, I can live on this. Let me tell you, we got something we can live on that's better than chocolate or better than cheesecake. What we can live on is the love of God. And if we would... Live on that, nibble on that, enjoy that, savor that, embrace that, take that. Living on God's love, 
is the word abide. To live in something, put your roots down deep, draw on that. And so the picture for me is that Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, I've got something better than chocolate to live on. And it's the love of God. And so are we living it out? Jesus living his love out through us? Are we living on it? Were we trying to discover? And just let me, let me just remind everybody. Life is good because as we keep going through new chapters of life, I mean, we've been gone eight months, seven months. I was here the first Sunday of January, so here we are in mid-July. It's been a while since we've been here. I come back and I see little kids that were babies. Now they're walking. I see changes that are going on in the life of 12th Avenue, and that's the way life is. And in this new change with a mom that's got a toddler that's now walking around, a little sister that I learned today said, he, he was cuter when he was a baby. Now he's in my stuff. You know, life changes. And so we just keep getting new chapters of discovering God's love today. And I want to live on that in today's chapter that we're in. And so Jesus being a a bridge builder into God's grace is something that we get to do today. We get to do next semester. We get to do next year. We get to continue to grow in it. And I'll just let you know, as Priscilla and I are in the aging process, and there's just a few more aches that we we didn't have before, getting to discover God's love and presence in life today. It's what Jesus is talking about that night. A new commandment I give you. I want you to love one another. I want you to live on my love. I want you to abide in my love. I want you to know my love today and all the way to the future. Mother Teresa, probably I trust everybody here knows this nun that was in India, Calcutta, has a prayer. And I want to share Mother Teresa's prayer because I think the way she looked at people helps us get our hearts around what it is to let God's love love through us and how we can live on his love. Here's what Mother Teresa says that she would pray for people. Her prayer was, Dearest Lord, may I see you today and every day in the person that comes before me. And while I'm nursing them, I want to minister to you Though you hide yourself behind that unattractive disguise of the irritable, the exacting, and the unreasonable, help me recognize you behind that and say, Jesus, my patient, how sweet it is to serve you. Now, I haven't been to where she was in India, but Priscilla and I living overseas, I've been in some pretty bad places. And to think of how Mother Teresa tried to get her heart in tune with Christ in her, loving Christ in other people, his love touching others beyond. I believe that's his love living through us and us living on it. And so Jesus is the bridge builder to God's grace, finally. Not only is Jesus the the bridge builder to, to God's grace, and not only is the bridge builder to the future, 
He's the bridge builder for transforming disciples. Disciples that are different. And this is where Al said, John, are you going to touch this issue? So now I'm going to kind of share what is important to Al. Because look what it says, verse 34 and 35. He says, a new commandment I give to you, guys, that you love one another just as I've loved you. You also are to love one another. And 35, by this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, here's what's sobering. John, through Jesus speaking, is giving to a broken world the grade card. Our measuring stick for how we're doing as his disciples is this. Do we love other people the way Jesus loved them? I'm telling you, I fail. And so when people say, oh, you, you're a bunch of hypocrites, what can I say? I don't want to be a hypocrite. No, I want to live. I want Jesus' love living through me. I want Jesus' love to be mine, what I, what I live on, what I'm taking in. But I'm still broken. I'm not there. But can you believe that Jesus gave the broken world the grade card to come back to us and say, hey, are you guys really aren't his disciples, are you? Notice what's going on in the church, all the, squ- all the squabbling, all the conflict. My goodness. And what a measuring rod that we've got to where they will know, they can measure us, they can say, yes, there is a group of people that are different. And it is how we treat one another. How we see Jesus at work in the different pieces, in the corners, in the ministries, and the elements at 12th Avenue Baptist Church right here in Emporia, Kansas. Where he's at work, I'll guarantee you, I know he is. He's working in the lives of every one of you that have come in here today. And he's got a message that he wants to touch that broken world that's in Emporia and beyond with that there is hope in the middle of the night. But the litmus test is does it work is what's going on among us. Do we love one another? Are we listening? Are we being flexible? Are we discovering where God's at work and we can join what he's up to by walking alongside of him? That transforming power, I believe, is at the root of discipleship. I believe I'll say it again, I believe one of the most significant places where we grow as disciples is in our home. How husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. He wants us to reflect Him in us as we deal with other people. And so, in John 13, we get this bridge where Jesus is building, first of all, that we would see the glory of God. He goes to the future. He's helping us see what He wants. Secondly, He wants to build a bridge that helps us be all that we can be under God's grace. And finally, he wants to transform our lives in that process. And he says, here's how you measure. Are you doing it? Do people know that you love one another?
Well, a good, a good encouraging word for that, I believe, is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We all know it, or I hope you know, the love chapter. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. And I've written it out today, uh, right there, with blanks. Because if Christ's love does live in us, guess how I measure how I'm doing? John is patient and kind. John does not envy or boast. John's not arrogant or rude. John doesn't insist on his. I know what I am. On his own way. John's not irritable or resentful. John doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. John rejoices at the truth. And John bears all things. He believes all things. He hopes all things. And he endures all things. Now the one who knows that, how I'm doing on that is just sitting right over there. But the gift of living in close relationship with people that we have to help us in that transforming process of becoming a Christ-following person. And so I'm going to leave that up there for just a few minutes and just let you put your own name in the blank. And then to have that become a prayer. To say, God, would you, through me, be patient? Would you, through me, be kind? God, would you, through me, help me not to be envious or boastful? God, would you, through me, Help me not be arrogant or rude, not insisting on my own way. God, would you help me not be irritable or resentful? God, would you help me not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoice in truth? And Father, help me bear all things, believe all things, and hope all things, and endure all things. And so our next steps that I'd have for us, first of all, Looking back, just the reminder for every one of us to look back over our shoulder and see those significant points in time where God has spoken to you. Just like he did to the disciples, I believe that in time we discover where God wants to have that personal relationship. And some of you may just be getting started and saying, well, I'm here, I showed up. I don't have much, but I'd sure like more. I believe that's a fitting prayer to pray today. God, show me you at work in me and around me. Secondly, does living out his love and living on his love, is that a goal that you would have? Does that describe your daily life? I think Jesus laid the challenge for the disciples that night. And then he goes on to live that out in the next 24 hours as he goes to the cross for them and for us. And then finally, as 1 Corinthians 13, you're measuring rod for relationships. And just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your own life because I know he wants to. I know he wants to reveal himself, himself through you in your world where you're at. Well, this morning in closing, this church is getting ready for an important week. Group of kids are going off super summer, and there's going to be some sponsors going with them. 
And so how I'd like to end this morning is the way Jordan got us started. You know, please do get you a daily prayer reminder of what to pray. But those that are headed to Super Summer, if you're a sponsor or a student, would you raise your hand? Great. No kidding. Are you headed to Super Summer? Oh, are, oh yes. And this, bye, I love your, your church. You guys are great. You sponsor kids. I meant uh, the ones that are going. What do you call them? The ones that go and are with the students. Naive ones. <laughs> okay, naive ones that are going to go off to camp, get in the vans tomorrow. Yes, thank you. Everyone that's sponsoring, you've got gifts for those kids going. But I want the ones that are headed to Webster. If you're in this room, will you come up here? Just stand right here. Uh, Jordan, you are going. Good. Good. Because I know there could, there's not everybody's here. Jordan, how many students are going? Uh, no joke. 42, you guys are going to, you're going to rock the dining hall. And that counts the naive ones, right? Yeah, so, 48 with leaders. Oh, 48 with leaders. There's the term we're going to use, leaders. Okay, so come on over and get in, let, let's scoot the line this way, okay? Bring them on down. You all know this week, Super Summer's been going, this is week five. There's six weeks, so there's only one, one week left. But it has been a very, very good summer where students have met the Lord. They've heard God speak into their hearts and their world. And so how I wanted to close was I wanted to pray over these leaders that are going and then the students that are headed off to Super Summer. You guys take off tomorrow morning? Good. So, you know, would you stand? I'm going to voice our prayer. Thankful for the opportunity that we've got a place that 42, you know, this is maybe a quarter of the group that's going to gather together tomorrow, take off for a week at Webster. And I don't think it's going to flood. By the way, the first, first week, it was, there was a lot, a lot of water at Webster. It's kind of dried out, so you've got a little better time. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you. I thank you for every one of these lives. I thank you especially for the students, Lord, that have been encouraged by this church that have been, their own hearts have said, well, I want to go off for a week at camp. Father, I thank you for the leaders that are going to go and invest their time, their, their hearts, their prayer, their watch care over these students that are going. And Father, we pray that in these next six days, from today through Friday, that Father, your spirit would be actively at work. I pray for the one who's going to be speaking I pray for their small group leaders, the, the collegiate staff that are there and have been investing in the lives of the students. I pray that, uh, Lord, the time and game and fun and in water and all that they're going to do, they would all be knit together for a life-encouraging and changing experience. So be with them, use them, protect them, and God, you be glorified through what's going to happen this week. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. And so, church, my benediction for the day is in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, 28 and 29, that Philip says this, so naturally we proclaim him, warning everyone we meet and teaching everyone we can all that we know of him, so that we may bring up to maturity everyone he gives us. 
And we're working at this all the time with all the energy he gives us. And so, go be the church.